Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. This is Gertrude Keesley coming to you again from the subject and the final, for the final time on God's great design, a supreme authority. We hope that by now you have a better understanding of his design for your life and the authority that he has given you. If you own a smartphone, you're most likely familiar with apps. There is a transportation app that's designed to get you from one place where you are to a desired endpoint. It's a wonderful tool that helps you bypass traffic jams and other sorts of things along your route that would otherwise cost you time. But the crust of the matter is this, the app is only effective if you're able to define a destination. The same is true in life. If we don't know where we're going, chances are we were never going to get there by accident. Our journey with God is similar. If we are unable to define our ultimate destination with him, it will remain difficult to find or achieve. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God has designed our end destination for us and it's called destiny. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknew, he also predestined to become, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God is making it explicit that his intention from the beginning was for us to be his image bearers, people who reflect his image into the rest of the world. Not only has God defined our destiny, but he has placed it inside of us. It's a destiny that was not available to us until Jesus died and was resurrected. Paul told the Colossians, and he says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created us. Christ has made it possible for us to put on the new man and walk into our destiny. God's invitation is for us to discover destiny before we build our lives, to discover the rock of our foundation before we start construction, for example. When we discover our destiny, it acts as a filter for us. 
when we keep our destiny before us, it informs our decision, it keeps us focused on the goal, and it prevents us from being sidetracked. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he was alive in a transformed body. It was a body that had physical attributes, and Thomas could put his finger in Jesus' nail prints and touch his side. Jesus could eat and drink as well as walk and talk, yet his body also had different properties. It could appear and disappear and come and go through locked doors. Wow. Jesus' transformed body was the beginning of a heavenly reality, which was fully at home in this natural world. And it was the beginning of a transformed physical world, which was fully at home in God's realm. This was the start of God's new creation, where heaven and earth come together in a new way. The moment we are born again, the kingdom of God is created in us. This becomes the window through which God intends to take the things of himself and introduce them into the natural realm. We essentially become conduits that straddle the divide between heaven and earth. In other words, we become the catalyst for introducing he heaven to earth. It's important to know that before, that both earth and heaven are realms, but heaven is never within us. Only the kingdom of God is. The kingdom is the rule of God through Jesus Christ. It's God's vehicle for bringing about transformation in us that will result in change in the world. Paul says the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness now, that speaks of citizenship. So each time we take an aspect of our lives, for example, finances, anxiety, insecurity, or what have you, and we introduce it to the kingdom or bring it under the reign and rule of Christ, it takes on kingdom citizenship. Citizenship is very important because it comes with rights. When something has citizenship, it falls under the rule of the governing authority. With regard to kingdom, it comes under the rule of the king of kings. Now, this gives us delegated authority through Jesus's victory, as well as the power to make things happen through the Holy Spirit. Putting on the new man is what transforms us into the image of God or of Christ. Now, entering the kingdom of God begins the moment we are born again. It brings forth the new creation that is within us. God's kingdom has come not to take people away from the world, but to transform things within the world, bringing earth into the presence and under the rule of heaven itself. Now, peace and joy are fruit of being positioned in righteousness. The biggest killer in America is stress, which is usually the result of facing circumstances that we are unable to influence. 
Kingdom power is what gives us influence. Kingdom living is what transforms us from people of stress to people of peace. Joy is being grounded in fulfillment. So essentially, God is saying that our fulfillment fulfillment is not going to be found in our environment, but it will be found within us and it will be discovered in kingdom living. People want to blame their work, their friends, their partners, and their unfulfillment. But God is telling us that we're looking in the wrong places. When Acts says you will become witnesses to me, it's referencing that which is transformed in us and around us. That's a testimony of him. Evidence is how we showcase the power of life. Christianity or the religion doesn't work. The kingdom works. Religion puts us onto a works program of handing out tracts and telling people that they must be saved. But Jesus doesn't say that we are to be witnesses for him. He says we are to be witnesses unto him. To be a credible witness of Christ, we need to bring evidence that validates our testimony. People want proof. They want us to know them, to show them the money, for example. Many Christians sometimes talk too much and try to convert the world through their insights or their spiritual arguments and doctrines. But words are not where the validation is. It's the evidence. It's in the evidence. And the key to the evidence is power. The only way we access power is by becoming kingdom citizens and learning to live in the kingdom. So now when God spoke to Abraham and told him and his wife that they would have a son, it was something that was not physically possible. They were past childbearing age. Sarah was barren. And when God told Abram Abram that he was changing his name from Abram to Abraham, that meant exalted father to father of many, it sounded like a ridiculous notion. But supernatural always sounds ridiculous to the natural mindset. God has called us to dream big with him. And dreaming bigs involve the confidence to believe that the impossible is supernaturally possible when we are walking in partnership with him. Now, as children, we dream without limits. We can create and live in a dream world that is so alive and real to us. But as we age, we encounter the gritty and abrasive nature of life. A new reality begins to reveal itself. And we find ourselves straddling two worlds, having to decide which of the two is going to define our future. Experiences are the point where our senses engage the circumstances of life. They become the bedrock to our reality. Words we hear, the things we see, and the way in which our emotions interpret these events 
build this kind of foundation. As we meditate on our experiences and our interpretations of them, they become the bedrock to future activity and a place where we invest our confidence. So God promised to Abraham was not to make him a parent, but a father of many nations. God promises will, at the very least, disturb our reality, but they may well in turn turn them upside down and on their heads. His promises are as an extension of his nature and are always characterized by his nature prosperous, expansive, and life-giving. God's intention is to recalibrate our sense of normal, what we call normal. His plan lies beyond the limitation of our reality, a realm defined by experience, reason, and our senses. This reality will set the boundary to our life, a boundary that will be restrictive limiting and debilitating both in terms of our abilities as well as our identity. It took Abram 20 years to deconstruct the confidence that he had in his reality, which was his age and his old body and the deadness of Sarah's womb, and to construct a fresh confidence in a new reality that was built from God's word. It was only when he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And that was when he saw the manifestation of the promise. Our future do not move in the direction of what we know but in the direction of our confidence. It's because of this that we need to be aware of where our confidence is vested. Our natural reality is characterized by fear, limitations, inferiority, and negativity. Now, if we live from this place, we're going to never realize our full potential in terms of who we are or what we can achieve. This reality is designed to keep us trapped and in prison. But John 8.32 says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Greek word for know is to be established in the word or revelation that flows from the spirit. This is about getting God's reality built in us through the word and then living from this place. Hallelujah. Building this reality takes investment. Hearing the truth is not enough. We have to know the truth. We have to be confident in it. We have to be set free. There's a process to building confidence. It cannot be created. It's the fruit of trust. Therefore, confidence is produced from the inputs that I sow into my life. We're on a construction project, and what we're constructing is the reality of our lives. The material we use is either our experience and reason or the word of God. Now, both are available to us, 
but we select which one we utilize. Amen. We need to be diligent in eradicating unwanted material that pops up during the construction of our reality. Anytime fear, insecurity, or negativity evidence themselves, we are to be deliberate in pulling them up and throwing them out. The only material that should be found on our building site is the word of God. Meditate on the word because meditation cultivates confidence. When we meditate on the things of our natural reality, we cultivate confidence in fear and negativity. That's why we are to guard our hearts, what we allow into that space and meditate on will define our confidence and give direction to our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. God's great design for us includes, of course, his word that will never pass away. Meditating on his word will help us understand and accept his great design for our lives, as well as the supreme authority he has entrusted us with. We have been entrusted with a supreme authority, which was part of his design. God bless you, and I hope you have enjoyed this series. Thank you.